0: Welcome to Friendship with God. I'm David Cantor, and today my father, Tom Cantor, will discuss whether or not you are pre-programmed to do the things you do. But first, here are a few highlights from yesterday.
1: The first change that has to happen for anybody to go to heaven is they have to be what this verse calls, what? Converted. Walk through the cemetery, why? Because walking through the cemetery causes you to consider your latter end. That's a good thing. And I said, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ says that there is a very wide road that leads to hell. Many, many people on it. And then he says there's a very, very narrow road, very narrow road that leads to heaven with just a few people on it. So I said, could you please take this pen? Give him a pen. And I said, just mark on this card where you think you are on this road.
0: Now here is my father, Tom, with today's study. And
1: so the, the, the rabbi looks at the men, and they're all just dismayed and shocked. And, uh, and, and he says, he says, he answers them. They don't even ask the question. The answer he says, what? He says, when you're dead, you're dead. Because when you're dead, you're dead. In other words, it doesn't matter. Because when you're dead, you're dead. You cease to exist. You know the Bible does not say that when you're dead, you're dead. You know what the Bible says? When you're dead, you're not dead. You continue. If you're law, lo- if a person is lost, then they wake up. As we read, as we saw last week, as the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, they wake up. If you're saved, you are alive. You exist in heaven. That's the way it is. Now, so God says, I want you to understand this. I want you to consider this. Because a person's not sure they're going to heaven, hell. The Bible says the default is hell. That's the default. But God says, we can change all that. We can make that all different. We can change the destiny. We can change the default setting on you from hell to heaven. And he made it so simple. And turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 10. Because it's so simple. God made it so simple. How do I do that? From this verse in Isaiah 53:10, there are three points. Okay? There are three spiritual laws here. It's even simpler than the four spiritual laws. There's only three. First is that you see where it says there, Isaiah 53:10. Please the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. Now here's the phrase, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So the first spiritual law is the word when. When. That means there is a specific time. That means that the when time is very, very important. When should a person do this? Well, God says in a few chapters before in Isaiah 49, 8, he says, In an acceptable time, an acceptable time, and that, that also could be translated now, now. That's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. In an acceptable time have I heard thee in the day of salvation. Paul says, Now is the accepted time. Now, behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. So the word. When, the word now, is very, very important. That's why God is asking everyone the question, every, every lost person. And we should be asking that question, too. Is that, when will you do this? Will you do it? Yes, no. Will you do it today? Yes, no. Will you do it now? That's God's question. Yes, no. That's God's question. So that's the first spiritual law, the when. There is a when. When. It's not automatic. I'm not born a Catholic, so I go to heaven. I'm not born a Jew, so I go to heaven. I'm not christened. Christened? I don't know. It, it, it sprinkle water when you're young, so I go to No, that's, th- nothing, that's not automatic. It, this is not automatic. There is a when in everyone's life. The next statement, the next spiritual laws, the next three words, thou shalt make. That means it's an act. That every person does. God will not do this for you. God has a contract of life. And he passes it, as we've said, to every man. And As Tim said last week, God does not sign for anyone. Everyone must sign for themselves. God does not determine who's going to sign that contract. That's to the choice of man. But he knows everything, so he knows who's going to sign it. But he says, Thou shalt make. Thou shalt make. And then the next six words, His soul an offering for sin. First, we all need an offering for sin. Why? Because King Solomon, he taught us, along with his father David, but when King Solomon dedicated the temple, he said in in 1 Kings 8.46, when he was talking about the, what would happen if the people prayed toward this temple that God should forgive them, and then he said, if they sin against thee, and then he said, there's no man that sinneth not, for there is no man that sinneth not. So uh, everyone, we all need that. That's, what, that's the basis. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 3.23. 3, 3 for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Passover time, each family had to get a lamb. No lamb, no Passover. No lamb, no life. No lamb, no mercy. Everybody had to go get the lamb. So picture a person approaching the temple of God, and he's got no offering, and he needs an offering. And God steps in, and he says, i give you your offering. i give it to you. I give you a gift. It's a, what is the gift? My only son is going to be your offering. Take him. Make that, make his soul your offering, an offering for sin. Make the Lamb of God your Lamb. Make the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ your sacrifice for sin. Make the Savior your Savior. Make God or the Lord Jesus Christ your God or your Lord Jesus Christ in other words he's saying whatever you've got in your hand drop it drop everything that you would come to God with in your hand and just say like the hymn says nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling O Lamb of God I come I come that's it that's it three spiritual laws God has made it so simple so very simple when should this be done now Who should do this? You should. Thou shalt make. What do I do? What must I do to be saved? What do I do? Make his soul an offering for sin. And then God promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord from Joel 2.32 shall be delivered. Or as Paul put it, shall be saved. Turn, if you would, also to um, to Deuteronomy 5.29. Deuteronomy 5.29, as we continue now. And ask the question, you know, many people might say, yeah, that's good for Christians, but I'm not a Christian. And and I don't know if God, you know, God encourages every lost person to come. He wants everyone to be saved, as we saw last week. He will have all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should slip through the cracks, any should perish. Willing? Okay, so in Roman, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 5:29, it says this. Oh, that's the New Yiddish Standard Version again. Oy, he says, oh, the pain of it all. Oh, he yearns. Oh, the grief. Oh, oh that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me. Keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children for this life. That's not what it says. It says, forever. Just like David said in Psalm 23, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord Forever forever god can you have you ever thought of this god wants everyone to have a good forever he wants that he's standing on the sidelines of the race of our life cheering for us he wants us to have a good forever that's what he wants and so he so he's saying, i'll do everything what do i need to do god says what do i need to do to make this more simple for you to help you along the way what warnings, what further warnings do I need to place in the path so that you don't continue on the broad road? What, 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 what green lights, what people do I need to bring into your life to encourage you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Because God wants everyone to be saved. But now when we thought, so that's for the lost. That's for the lost. In the beginning, a holy anxiety of, of uh of uh, there's going to be an end, and what is my latter end, and, and uh, <clears throat> turn to the Lord and be saved. But the, now but that's no, for the lost, but I, I, I'm not looking at you and saying, well, you're all lost. I'm not saying, I know, we're saved. Many of most, I don't know, God knows. Anyway, so the phrase, in the beginning, should also bring to the saved a kind of holy anxiety as well. Why? Well, turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1, and follow along here very carefully as I read these words. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write down 50. And he said to another, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures a week. And he said, unto take thy bill and write fourscore." And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, first of all, first of all, <clears throat> according to verse one, who is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to? Who's he speaking this parable to? His disciples. Uh, color them like us. Okay? His disciples. He's not addressing the lost. He's addressing his disciples. This is a true account. It's not a story. It's a true account that the Lord Jesus Christ is telling. And it's an account about a rich man and a steward. What's it, what's it? We don't say steward today. What would we use? Manager. manager. It's a manager. Okay, so the rich man is so rich that he needs an investment manager for his wealth. We should have such a problem. Anyway, so he's got, maybe, I don't, we don't know what his, what his wealth is. Maybe there are lots of parcels of land, and he's got this, this manager, a land manager, and he sublets out the par- We don't know. But it looks like the rich man is very far from being a micromanager. The rich man's not a micromanager. In fact, he's a very trusting vo- boss, and he just seems to know nothing about any of the details. But the rich man seems to have gotten a lot of reports a lot of bad reports about his manager. And the reports are basically that he's doing a bad job, he's wasting your wealth. So from verse 3, the, and also, it's probably not far from the truth, because in verse 3, when the, when the, when the manager is sitting there considering, let's see, what am I going to do? Should I become a hard worker? Oh, I can't do that. He says, so he doesn't seem to be a hard worker. He seems lazy. But anyway, when he, so get a job? No, no, that's out of the question. He says, I cannot dig. Uh, He says, I can't work. Anyway, what the investments were that he had to manage and how he was wasting, it's not important. To the point of the, the the account the rich man has just become convinced that he's got to fire his manager he needs to fire him but he wants to find out first a little damage assessment you know how much damage has been done so he's he's calling him in to 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 say all right maybe it's his last chance maybe he's going to change his mind if the rich man sees oh i was really wrong he's really done a great job so he, he says to him bring all the the details bring the the contracts or the scrolls or whatever they had in those days, and lay them all out so I can see what's been going on here. And uh, so I see if it's true or false. Every detail. Now, uh, for the first time, it looks like, the manager is going to have to sit down and, and produce the details of what he's done. He's going to have to do that. And, and so the manager has a chance to justify himself and keep his job. Uh, but, but the manager seems to, be, seems to know that he's guilty because he's not thinking about justifying himself. He says in, in verse, it, it, well, first of all, the Lord calls him an unjust steward. But he, he, he says, well, when I am going to lose my job with him, what am I going to do? So, but he's shaken in verse 3, the manager. He's almost stuttering in fear when he blurts out these, sh- these short sentences. What shall I do? My Lord taketh away from me my stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg, I'm ashamed. So he's really shaken in his core the thought of him having to give an account of how he's managed. has been like an earthquake that's gone off in him. he was terrified. He realizes it's coming. And, and, and he's gonna, he can't give a good account. And he knows when his boss sees the detail, there's going to be no second chance with all this. He, 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 he's, he's finished. He knows all this. He sees all his goose is cooked. And he knows that, and he knows that so much. He says, when I am put out of the stewardship,
2: the reality has hit him like a ton of bricks. Tom, a common belief today is that your destiny is actually predetermined. As if everyone has been pre-programmed or predestined in life. But you said that a person can actually change their destiny as in a person can determine their own destiny. Now, I know that everyone does not agree with this, but can a person really change their own destiny from hell to heaven? And, and how does someone do that? Absolutely. It's
1: so very clear when you look at what God said in Isaiah 53.10. This verse starts out with one of the most astounding statements in Scripture. It says that it pleased the Father, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise the Son. You can look at this verse as if it was saying, it pleased Abba Elohim, God the Father, to bruise Bain Elohim, God the Son. It pleased God the Father to bruise him. It says he hath put him to grief. This is such a dramatic thing that God the Father would bruise God the Son and put him to grief. Danny says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, If you put your guilt on his soul. In other words, this now is shifting where God is saying, Now, this is something you can do. You can make his soul, the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal offering for sin. And that is a matter of choice, and that is how a person changes their destiny from hell to heaven. When they make God's son, God's gift to them, their own personal offering for sin and they say to him, my Lord, my God, my savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes a person's destiny from hell to heaven. If they really mean it, from the depths of their soul, and they cry to God, God promises
2: that he will save their souls and change their destiny from hell to heaven. This great change in destiny is obviously done through prayer. You know, I used to wonder, after I prayed, did God really hear my prayer, or was it just me who heard my prayer? That's a very, very
1: common feeling after praying. I mean, you're sitting in the room, you're praying, and you're wondering, was there just one person who heard that as in only me, or did God really hear my prayer? And you ask yourself the question, what should I base my belief that God heard me on? Is it a feeling? Is it some kind of a, a, a mysterious rush which all of a sudden comes on you and you say, oh, I really, really feel. You know, there's something more reliable than the really, really feel after praying and that is what does God say? And here we grab a hold of a verse in 2 Corinthians 6 to like a handle on the side of a ship And we're and the ship is passing by, and we grab a hold of it for security. And this verse says, "For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succoured or have I helped thee." In other words, God is saying here is that when it comes to the subject of salvation, when it it is so important to God that he says, you can just assume that when you are on the subject of salvation, I am hearing you. I am hearing every word that you're speaking. I'm seeing every movement of your heart. I'm watching your total being. You've got my full attention because every person desperately needs salvation and God so loved the world. In other words, he so wanted to give this salvation to everyone that he gave his only begotten son, which means that when anybody turns to him in 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 the subject of salvation, God is not
2: nonchalant. He's right there and he's hearing. Well, you so often hear people say, well, I will, but not now. What does this statement mean in the light of changing their destiny? Because what I hear them saying is that, now is not the best time, what would you say to a person who can change his destiny but says, I will, but not now?
1: Well, that's where the second part of the verse comes in, in 2 Corinthians 6-2, because it goes on, and he says, for he saith, I have heard thee, In a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Now it's almost as if God has anticipated what you just said. In other words, it's almost as if God has said, I know that people are going to procrastinate. I know that people are going to put it off. I know human nature. I know that they are going to say, I will, but not now. It's going to be the not now syndrome. And so God addresses that right away with the second part of this verse where he says, behold, as if God is saying, really focus on this. Really look at this. Behold. And then he uses this word, now is the accepted time. And then he says again, behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, God doesn't waste words. If he repeats something, in in the Bible, it means it's really important. And when he says, behold now, behold now, that means it's so important to seize the moment because this gets back to the issue here. Man can change his destiny from hell to heaven. Man has not been pre-programmed. Man has not been predestined. Man has been crowned with the sovereignty of choice by God in such a way that he has, by God, been given the choice to determine his own destiny. And that choice, God says, you should exercise that choice. God says, you should make that decision. God says, you should do it. You should do it today. You should do it now. And therefore, he says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God looks down the spectrum of time, the tunnel of time in each one of our lives, and he sees what we don't see. He sees the car accidents. He sees the, he sees the heart attacks. He sees, the, he sees the, 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 the sudden and unexpected death. He sees that. And when he sees that, he is saying, Oh, that these people were wise. Oh, as Moses said, that they would consider their latter end. Oh, that there was such a heart in them, as Moses said. Why? Because God says, I know what your future holds, but I'm leaving you to make your own decision. Because one thing God has determined, and that is that everyone in heaven was not forced there. Everyone in heaven is there because they want to be there and God wants it to be like that. Therefore, God does everything that he can by giving us the Bible, by giving us preachers, by giving us radio and television and everything, including the things that happen in our individual lives, as if God is setting up a series of warning lights and saying, don't put this off. Don't push me back. Don't say later is is, is is just as good as now because God says now, right now, because to make the decision now is to take God seriously. To put him off is to not take God seriously and it's to provoke him to anger. And one of the basic rules of life is don't make God mad. It's a very bad thing to make God mad. So therefore, he says now is the accepted time. Can you imagine, as if you were to walk up to the Lord and you say, "Lord, when is the acceptable time? Is it in church? Is it on my next to my my bed at night? I mean, uh, when is the acceptable time for me to receive your gift? Who is a person? The Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. When is the acceptable time for me to do that?" And God says. Forget about the the it has to be in church. Forget about that it has to be by your bedside. God says the acceptable time is now to pray. And what prayer is appropriate? And maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't know how to pray. Very simple. You just pray, "Oh God, I'm a sinner." Oh God, I want your gift, your salvation. Oh God, I throw open the door of my heart. Please enter in, be my savior, be my God. I believe your Bible. I receive your son. I want to become your child today. Thank you for hearing me in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow for Part three of this message from my father, Tom Cantor. Today's message, as well as previous messages, are available for download at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 1-800-247-3051 for a copy of today's message. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051. Join us again tomorrow at this same time.